Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round one recap for this week's Honda Classic. Joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, what up? What is up? What a what an interesting day. Uh, there, are, there are some big names that have some big numbers, Rick. Hudson Swafford, I was telling Jacob, was the guy who already ejected himself by the time I woke up this morning. Uh, which we know happens at like Florida courses with lots of water, but it's been basically a year since I've been slapped in the face like that. It was a great wake up call. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. I remember, uh, Rick, you had um, on your other pod, you were you interviewed Scott. Was it Scott Blumstein, right? The correct WSOP yes. main event winner, and yes. you know the manner in which you you described how he sweats. Uh, oh my PGA, god, DFS. It's and, offensive. And, and what, when he was when he was describing that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's me!" By the way, World Series <laughs> of Poker main event casher myself. But the same point thing. is, I I sweat it the same exact way. And so when I wake up and I see a guy like that that I'm invested in, that's already like plus three or plus four, it legitimately ruins my entire day. See, that shouldn't be happening. I swear, Scott Scott has an unhealthy sweat. I hope, Sia, that you do not have. I don't want it ruining your day. Come on, man. It, you know, it ruins my. Short. Honestly, it's an it's an understatement. What I just said is an understatement because it, it it really affects like the next four days until pricing comes out on Monday. Yes. Well, fun. you'd be feeling pretty good if you had Kurt Kitayama in your lineup because he shot an opening round 64. That's six under par. And just as everyone suspected he was going to do, Sia, because he had missed five consecutive cuts leading into this event. And goes out and pops and shoots a 64. And now he is our first round leader for the moment. There, I guess there's like maybe one guy who could catch him. But as of right now, Kurt is going to sleep on the 18 hole lead. Yeah. And he's doing it the right way because it's not like it's. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not like he gained it all putting or around the green. Like the ball striking was immaculate. The putting was great. Don't get me wrong. But even if he re- he regresses in that department, the ball striking, you know, gained. Let's see. I'm looking at rickrungood.com. 2.78 on approach, uh, 1.57 off the tee. The ball striking was immaculate today. Yeah. So not everyone's done. So these will fluctuate a little bit, but you're right. I see him as the number one ball striker in the field right now, which is like, which is not usually how you see first round leaders get it done. So yeah, that's a little bit of optimism uh, that he might have a hair of sticking power for the rest of the way. But I mean, most people, you know, probably don't realize, or maybe they do realize Kurt Kitayama is the 289th ranked golfer in the world. He has three career OWGR victories. His most recent was the Oman open. That was in 2019 on the DP world tour but see i think this we see this a lot right we see somebody jump out to uh, an early lead the depth of the pga tour is absolutely insane because of the way his metrics are shaping up do we think he can hang more than most kind of random first round leaders 
Uh, actually, no. I don't think this okay. is a Cameron Young situation where he's going to stick around. I mean, I I think if he, if he plays, you know, average among the field tomorrow, I think that's that won't be a surprise, but he'll still fall. I think, honestly, by Sunday morning or by Saturday early evening, uh, I don't think Kurt Kitayama is going to be anywhere near the top 10. Well, our friends over at Caesar Sportsbook probably agree with you. They are listing Kurt Kitayama at 25 to 1 to win the Honda Classic, despite being out front at the moment. The favorite, the favorite at three and a half to one. Daniel Berger, thanks to an opening round 65, and he looked very much like the Daniel Berger that we have seen for the majority of the last year. It was bogey free around PG and Sia, he very quickly quieted those concerns about any potential injury. Yeah, and I realize this is not a, a DFS show like we do on Monday, but you know, one of the reservations one may have had in putting him into your lineup or betting him, you know, outright or top twenty was that back injury, and and he clearly has put that to bed. I don't really think there's any worry at this point that all of a sudden it's going to flare up. Uh, you know, it, would I be betting, in spite of that, would I be betting him at plus 350? The answer to that is no. I, I think there's some odds down the board that I'm sure we'll talk about. But, yeah, Berger seems back, and this is his kind of like a, a, a home game for him, and he's showing off all of the skills that we knew he had. He just hadn't put in play yet because he had been injured. Of course, PGA National played about 1.3 strokes over par on Thursday. The infamous bear trap, 15, 16, and 17, Sia, not even the hardest three-hole stretch on the golf course. Those three holes played about, let me do some quick math here, 0.45 strokes over par, while holes 5, 6, and 7 played Oh boy, uh, 0.58, about three quarters of a stroke over par. So when you have a, a three-hole stretch that is named for how difficult it is, and that's not even the hardest three-hole stretch, oh boy, are you in trouble. Yeah, I mean, let's talk to Keith Mitchell real quick. If we could just grab him for a quick interview on on how how he feels about mm. the bear trap. But with that yeah. said, you're right. I think everybody kind of knew going into this tournament that the bear trap was going to be really problematic. But really, five, six, and seven were going to either be more problematic or at least equally as problematic. So on the front nine and the back nine, you know, trouble lurks everywhere. And it's just about being able to maybe, you know, go even par during that stretch if you can, getting your birdies elsewhere. And then you are going to be in position like Kurt Kitayama is, for example, and some of these other lesser names. I mean, Rick, by the way, I mean, if we're looking at ball striking, and I realize this is going to change because not everybody's finished, but guys like Lucas Glover, Wesley Bryan, your guy, Rick, Paul Barjon, the ball, Jim Herman, my guy, the, the Twitter phenom, Jim Herman. Like these guys are absolutely, the ball strike, they're, they're cruising through these tough stretches with great ball striking and they're picking up some birdies here and there and pars here and there. And, you know, here we are. Is it going to last? Yeah, probably not, but it's very compelling. You just have to get through those tough stretches. There are some guys with some popping ability over the next day or two based on the metrics. You mentioned Keith Mitchell. He stepped on the tee of 15, the first hole of the bear trap at two under par. Lots of people very excited about a past champion around PGA National this time around. And he played them. Oh boy. Four over double bogey on 15 bogey on 16 bogey on 17. At least he made a birdie on 18. CS salvaged the round a little bit. One over par for Keith Mitchell. So uh, the way this is shaping up and we'll get to the odds and all that stuff on the other side, the way this is shaping up is a kind that's probably going to be, they generally say double it, but when it's over par, maybe one over, maybe 
somewhere between even par and two over probably the likely scenarios for Friday. It's it's going to be another another tough battle uh, when they when these guys tee it up tomorrow. Yeah, and there are some big time names that are in real big trouble. I'll I'll tell you, you know, everybody knows I'm not exactly the king of one and done with the first cut. I've got Louis Ustase in at plus five. I've you know, in in a lot of you know one and dones or you know outright bets or top twenties or in DFS, Sung JM who was plus four. Like these guys are those were the two you know top guys in this tournament mostly because you know Berger had the potential injury issue and they're very much on the outside looking in I, I would I would predict that one of those two makes the cut but I'm not super confident about that statement Matthew Wolf shot an 81 on Thursday that's 11 over he is in dead last by three shots obviously uh you never like to see an implosion like this but it's not it's not unheard of, right? Matthew Wolf, one of the most volatile golfers in a good way. I will mention when you start putting danger everywhere, it's either him going out and winning the golf tournament because everything goes his way and he's able to pull off all the shots or it's this, it's an 81. Those are like the largest Matthew Wolf is probably the largest range of outcomes on a given day or a given week when you're in these conditions. And we talked about that on the Monday DFS show because yeah. you asked the question, is is Matthew Wolf worth a shot given that volatility, which can go both ways? And, and my answer to that was, well, well, not really, because I'd rather just pay up for another volatile guy that can take down this tournament, and that's Brooks Kepka. Now, did I like either of them a lot? No, not really. But if I'm going to take a chance on extreme volatility, give me Brooks Kepka over Matthew Wolf because honestly, more often than not, it goes downhill for Matthew Wolf, at, at least at this time, at this juncture of his career. Let us take a minute to go through kind of the risers, potential fallers, look at the odds board. We're going to do all that, but first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Daniel Berger, as mentioned, the favorite to win, according to our friends over at Caesar Sportsbook, three and a half to one at this exact moment with Brooks Kepka, who shot a two under 68 on Thursday, sitting there at 12 to one. Billy Horschel at 14, Chris Kirk at 16. And those are the only four golfers who are shorter than 20 to one. Sia, is there a bet to be made in the moment in terms of outright situations? You know, typically this early in the tournament, I, I think I like to look even further down the board. But oh, I'll tell sure. you, at, at, at what we see right now, I think from a value standpoint, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Cameron Young really impressed me today because he really faltered early. And then yes. just kind of, and you would think, okay, it's really going to unravel. This is a yep. young kid. He sort of had his moment last week. And now either there's going to be a tournament or two where you're just going to see maybe bad Cameron Young. And nope. He completely rebounded and really, really showed that that maybe he's kind of here to stay. And at twenty eight to one, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just I thought the same exact thing. You know, when I saw him, he was two over. He made bogey on 15. He started on the back, double on 16. He's two over. You know, six or seven holes into this, I'm like, oh boy, it's. This is going to be a quick week. And then he makes Eagle on 18, uh, makes three more uh, birdies on his in on a second nine. I, I was flashing back to uh, Sahith a couple of weeks ago when there was a moment when that tournament could have gotten away from him and he didn't let it happen. And this was a moment that the tournament could have gotten away from Cam Young and he didn't let it happen. I thought it was very mature and I thought it was a really important turning point in his round. Yeah, and I think that tells us something about this tournament, but I think it tells us something about Cameron Young the rest of the season. Now, granted, it's a smaller sample size. I'm, I'm really going off of, you know, a, a very, not just last week, but, you know, the few weeks before where he was, you know, pretty impressive given his his age on the tour. But I, I think this says a lot about Cameron Young. At a difficult course like this, it says a lot about him. 
Yeah, currently 28 to 1. If you're looking for some of those guys that we mentioned who are really good ball strikers who kind of lost strokes with the putter, you mentioned Jim Herman. Uh, gained at least about three strokes in the ball striking categories, lost two on the putting surfaces. See, he's even par. So, you know, if he can even just lose a half a stroke putting on Friday and continue to hit the ball the same way, you'd think that he'd be making up ground on the field. Uh, anyone else that kind of looks like an interesting, whether it's a showdown play or someone that you think is going to be making moves as we head into holes 19 through 36. Yeah, a few. I mean, Lucas Glover is one of them. The ball striking was immaculate with him as well. Uh, let's see. It looks like he almost, you know, again, this might fluctuate a little bit, but gained three strokes ball striking. And in going into this tournament, this is a guy that we knew could get hot uh, at, at this test here. I mentioned Paul Barjan. I mean, in terms of like a low end showdown play, striking the ball well. Wesley Bryan, we know, is a classically was a good ball striker. Is Wesley Bryan back? I have no idea, but he certainly flashed that sort of I'm back potential today. So those are maybe some of the lesser names. I thought Billy Horschel could have really taken advantage of a little bit more uh, today, and he didn't, but that doesn't mean he can't tomorrow. I think he's an interesting play. I think Gary Woodland, you know, I have a, I have like two or three outrights and Gary Woodland is one of them. And I really, and we talked about him on the Monday DFS show as well. I think there's some potential there at minus one for him to kind of ascend in this field full of guys that just frankly aren't very good, knowing that guys like Sung J.M. and Louie are, are really in the chase pack or well behind the chase pack. Yeah, the other one that I thought was interesting uh, was Billy Horschel because he lost strokes with the putter on Thursday. He was great in the ball striking categories. And even if you watched him, the putts that he missed, they burned the edges. He hit a lot mm -hmm. of pretty good putts. I was actually expecting to see him lose more than just a third of a stroke with that flat stick. So he's someone that now engaged uh, through the first, uh, you know, the first 18 holes. He's going to have to go out and probably play the harder side of it in the afternoon on Friday. I'd be keeping a close eye on him. I like what we've seen from Billy as of late. Yeah, I totally agree on Billy. I think another guy that's interesting is is Mito Pereira. He'll probably yeah. be really popular when it comes to you know showdown plays and, and things of that nature. And you're right to bring up the morning and the afternoon because and I, I don't have a full weather report for tomorrow, at least not as of right now. But I mean, I think that that certainly could matter. It's something we're going to need to keep an eye on. Yeah, the afternoon did play about a half a stroke more difficult on Thursday, which is you know the norm generally in PGA Tour events. The it, it gets harder as the day goes on, especially when you're talking about places that are more susceptible to wind and drying out and stuff like that, like we saw at PGA National. Okay, see you in a shot. Any final thoughts before we put a pin in this one and come back again after round two? You, you know, we were so close to having a a wire-to-wire-to-wire -to -wire -to -wire situation, the way Joaquin Neiman no. led this tournament it, and, and literally no. led this tournament, but led off this first round because yeah. it, it was really tracking like he was going to finish at like minus, you know, six under, seven under. I mean, he was really dominating. And then he just, I guess he had that double bogey and things started to fall apart. But that would, I don't know how many times, Rick, you probably know the answer. Well, I'm sure you could find it pretty quick, but to go wire to wire in one tournament and then be the first round leader in the next tournament is just absurd. <gasps> to go wire to wire to wire to wire. back Yeah, back to back weeks. I, I wonder if it's ever, I'm sure Tiger's done it, but maybe he's the only guy who's ever done it. Um, Yeah, he was off to, he was four under and then he made that double, but you're right. That would have been very interesting. Oh my goodness. If we were sitting here talking about Joaquin being the first round leader instead of a tie for 45th, yeah, that would have been, that would have been special. I'll have to go look that up. Now, now my brain's thinking. 
What's funny is how cavalierly we suggest that Tiger accomplish something that is absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that you're probably right about it. Every stat is, um, this has never been done before asterisks except Tiger Woods. Like that's every <laughs> stat. It's outrageous. So I just, I cover my bases at this point by assuming Tiger's done it. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair. Smart. It's worked out mm -hmm. before. Sia Najad available on Twitter at Sia Najad. Producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. And we'll be back after each and every round this week for the rest of the Honda Classic. You can follow me at Rick Run Good. But this has been the first cut. And we'll catch you next time.